Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. I'm reading today again from Let Your Kingdom Come. We're speeding up things just a little bit. We want to get this book done. I know some of you are a little impatient with the constant messaging about the kingdom, and yet I felt a compulsion within me to share with God's people as much as I could about the kingdom because the kingdom is misunderstood and not being too excited. You know, people aren't too excited about it in our day, and that's, that troubles me. I want you to see what is actually coming when Jesus comes. I'm now in the book of Acts. We're in the A.D. 30s, after Jesus has gone back to heaven. We're talking about the kingdom. And Philip the deacon, did you know that he has something to do with this? When they believed Philip in Acts 8.12, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Now, passages like this jump out after you've discovered the idea of kingdom in the scriptures. Notice that Philip preached the things concerning the kingdom. People believed the things concerning the kingdom. Then they were baptized. So the things concerning the kingdom must involve what Jesus did on Calvary, his resurrection, his promise of an eternal reign. Today we preach most of that, but we seem to be limited in our preaching of the actual kingdom. We need to remember, though, that this gospel is indeed the gospel of the kingdom. Without the reign being added, which involves the lordship of Jesus over lives right now, is it a full gospel that we preach? Let's move on to Paul from 80s, 30s to 60s, the kingdom and Paul. Paul preaches the gospel in the province called then Asia, exhorting the brothers there and telling them that it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. See that though the church was in full swing, people were being admitted also to the kingdom. It was not that the kingdom was entering them, not in this verse anyway. Acts 14, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. It was that same kingdom of God message that Paul preached in Ephesus as that church was being formed in Acts 19 verse 8. Uh, first, this word from the, lead, the acting leader of the church in Jerusalem while Peter was traveling, and then the half-brother of Jesus. It says in verse 8, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. In fact, the book ends with Paul, now a prisoner, preaching the kingdom of God and the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ at his lodging near Rome. But before that text, we see him in Ephesus again, saying his farewells. Look at Acts 20, 25. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Notice how preaching the gospel and preaching the kingdom of God are phrases used interchangeably by the apostles. Hence, the term gospel of the kingdom places the two entities in one package. Let not mattered, modern man pull them apart. The gospel, the good news, is about the king and his kingdom. Look at Acts 28.30. Then Paul dwelt two years, two whole years, in his own rented house and received all who came to him, 
preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. This kingdom message, which began historically in New Testament times with John in the wilderness, now has continued up to and including Paul under house arrest. So what exactly was this kingdom message by now? Had it changed? Were the prophets ignored? What expectations did the apostles place in the ears of their hearers now? Maybe there are clues in the epistles. Let's let's move to the epistles. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So here's a text that has suffered the ravages of false prophets in just about every generation. Quite often there arises among us a group of people who believe they are the manifested sons of God come to save the world and bring in the Messiah. Well, it hasn't happened, but it, it will happen. It's coming. The true sons of God will be revealed on that day when Jesus returns and raises his own from the dead. The world will see these sons ruling with Jesus and turning this planet into something inhabitable again. We humans groan and labor now, suffering through the governments of men, but it won't always be like this. Now, Romans 9 to 11 is next. This is a critical text in this subject. It needs to be read carefully by every child of God. In those three chapters by Paul, one can find the just judgment of Israel, the temporary setting aside of Israel, and the restoration of Israel. And that restoration of Israel is the key element in the coming kingdom. Churchmen, much later, and we'll share with this, share you quotes from this later on, but they began to abandon the millennial idea altogether, the thousand years. But just before this, they were saying there would be a kingdom, but, but Israel would not be a part of it. <laughs> well, stuff and nonsense is the phrase that comes to my mind. I'm sure Paul would agree with this impolite but true wording. Let's follow his train of thought for a while. Romans chapter 9, verses 22 to 28. Listen carefully. That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass, in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. 
God has called Jews and Gentiles to himself. The Jews rejected his ways all through their history, and at one point they were not even considered his people, says Hosea. But in the end, they will be, and so will a group of Gentiles. And together they will form a new people, once all of them unbeloved and unaccepted. That will all turn around. Let's not forget another promise. When the kingdom is set up here, 12 churchmen will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, they'll all be Jews, the apostles, but churchmen, the prophecies to Israel will come to pass and the church will somehow be a part of that fulfillment as grafted in branches to the great tree called Israel. Then Romans 11 shows us clearly that the present situation with Israel is a temporary one. Verse 25 states that blindness has happened to Israel in part. That is, though there are many saved Jews, most of Judaism is blind and hard-hearted. This hardness will be the norm until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. All Israel will be saved, he says. When the last Gentile has been saved, Jesus appears to his Jewish elect, and they are truly sorry for their sinful ways. And then the kingdom comes, and all the promises are fulfilled. Read it yourself, Romans 11:5 and 25 to 27. Even so then, says Paul, says the Holy Spirit, at this present time, now, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. For I do not desire, brothers, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And then Romans fourteen seventeen. The kingdom of God was a given in the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, so it shouldn't be surprising that Paul suddenly brings up the subject when talking about something else, namely the law of love when dealing with eating meat sacrificed to idols. Paul claims that kingdom citizens do not demand their way in this matter, but rather they show compassion on one with a weaker conscience. For he says the kingdom that we are a part of is not about what we eat and drink, but rather it's about bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is one of those internal kingdom messages about the kingdom that many want to point to, rightfully so, but to try to claim that internal is all there is. Truly, without the internal, no one will be admitted into the physical realm of the kingdom, but let's not destroy that visible part. Romans 14, therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, you may have heard the term Rosetta Stone, the Rosetta Stone. That's the stone by which you can interpret all other stones, all other languages in, this, in the case of Rosetta Stone. Well, I think 1 Corinthians is a serious advocate of a coming kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 4.20 and other things in 1 Corinthians, they're like the Rosetta Stone. I'll show you what I mean. 
First, it says the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. There's another negative. The kingdom is not just talk. It is power. It is action. Paul was endued with true power from the Spirit, as opposed to some of the men challenging him, who only had words. Kingdom people have kingdom power from King Jesus. There's a clear difference between that and the challengers. Now, chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God, period. Here Paul speaks of inheriting the kingdom. That's future. That's substance. And Paul says that a long list of evils will be excluded from the kingdom, as well as those who commit those evils. The kingdom is something with a door. You'll be excluded from that kingdom if the kingdom power is not inside of you. Now, here, in my opinion, is the Rosetta Stone of Kingdom Matters, a passage that lays out clearly the order of coming events, verses that I believe resolve the whole issue of timing of the coming kingdom, coupled, of course, with Revelation 20 and a host of those Old Testament verses that we've already covered. But listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 26, talking about resurrection. Now Christ is risen from the dead. He's become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or died. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So Paul is speaking of resurrection. Some uninformed folks in Corinth were actually denying the resurrection. And Paul was here setting them straight. But in the process of speaking of resurrections, he outlines the events that shall surely come to pass before it's all over. Number one, Christ rises from the dead. That was done. Number two, Christ's people rise from the dead and reign with him. It's implied. That's second. Three, then the kingdom, that visible kingdom that we've traced all through Scripture, is delivered from Christ to the Father. Jesus shall have put an end to all rule. He will reign until all enemies are destroyed. Number four, death itself is destroyed. I believe here that the the heavens and the earth are also destroyed and a new heaven and a new earth is created here. Then God is all in all as the Son fully submits to the Father. There will be something happening at that point that none of us have comprehended at this point. We're going to need a thousand years to get ready for that. I found these things by a simple but intense reading of the Scriptures. But I'm not alone. I find that Bible scholar John MacArthur says the same thing. 
from the ESV MacArthur Study Bible, page 1709. Commenting on 1524, then comes the end, he says this, This third aspect of the resurrection involves the restoration of the earth to the rule of Christ, the rightful king. In the culmination of the world's history, after Christ has taken over the restored world for his Father and reigned for a thousand years, all things will be returned to the way they were designed by God to be, in the sinless glory of the new heavens and the new earth. During the millennium, under Christ's rule, rebelliousness will still exist, and Christ will have to rule them with a rod of iron. End of quote. We'll finish those thoughts when we come to John's revelation. But Paul sets up the case for a transitional time. Yes, a golden age it will be, but sinful men will still try their tricks. They'll be governed properly. Justice will abound, but enemies will have to be dealt with during that era. And then the end of the millennium, the new heavens, the new earth. In this same chapter, verse 50, Paul tells us that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. We knew that, yes? You must be born again. And those who are born again will receive a new body with which to inherit that kingdom. A body like we have now, but wildly different also. Consider Jesus' glorified body. Our body is corruptible now, but incorruptible then. 1 Corinthians 15, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. In Galatians 3, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Faith being the bottom line of kingdom acceptance, our faith in Christ, even as Gentiles, allows us to be called the seed of Abraham and Israel, as is in this text of Galatians 6, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. I believe the Israel of God is nothing different from the tree called Israel that Paul speaks of elsewhere. When all is said and done, it's Israel to whom the promises were given, and for them they are fulfilled. We foreigners were given the chance of a lifetime when we were invited to join that commonwealth. Once taken in by faith, we are with them the Israel of God. It says in Ephesians 1 that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, on earth, in him. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Many precious teachings in this passage. Uh, but to our subject, notice how what is coming is called an inheritance, a purchased possession. Notice that all who are in him, Jew or Gentile, will be gathered together to receive this grand prize. And here is that mention of our joining the commonwealth first promised to Abraham, Ephesians 2. Let me read it. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's right, Gentiles, you are going nowhere fast. But along comes Jesus and invites us to the family that he's been nurturing for thousands of years. Colossians is the same message. In one thirteen, he has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Paul's message to Timothy, if we endure, we shall reign with him. Clear, yes? Second Timothy 4, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his, what? His kingdom. Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead at his appearing and kingdom. Do you see the order? He appears, number one. And number two, he sets up his kingdom. It's that simple. And so in 2 Timothy 4, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And now Hebrews, I can include this as one of Paul's letters, um, or or not. In fact, we're running a little short on time. I'm going to have to uh, let it go right there. Hebrews will be next time, along with James, along with the book of Revelation, as far as we can get there. We may have to cut that in half too, but we're almost done with our Through the Bible search. Soon after that, we're going to go through church history. You want to see the history of millennial thought from the time of the end of Revelation all the way to our present day. We'll take a real quick bird's eye view of that and then we'll be done. Thank you so much for being with us today. The Lord bless you. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. And Lord willing, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.